1: So he goes on in verse 11, he says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. Again, the word worthy is, is axios. It means deserving. You are due this, Lord. You are worthy to receive glory. And, and again, that's doxa. That means to be praised. You deserve honor. It means a value and esteem of someone who's precious. And you deserve power. This is the word dynamis, where we get our word dynamite. I can, I can. I'm singing your
0: praise How can I ever say that? Welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Today we learn about the worship of the 24 elders before the throne of God. These elders represent those that believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. The elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him. The 24 elders worship means to credit worth or worthiness to God. They also credit God for their own work and reward. And they did this as they cast their crowns before the throne. They recognized that the worth and the worthiness belongs to God, not to themselves. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he continues our study in the book of Revelation.
1: That you're able to see. He was the only one who manifested himself in a physical form. Through the Virgin Mary, through the Incarnation, we were able to reach out. The apostles, the the disciples, they were able to touch him and to handle him. They were able to see him and talk with him. Until he was crucified and resurrected, until he ascended, he was very physical. And do you know right now there is a physical man in heaven in his glorified body from his resurrection? His resurrection body, the same body, folks, that you and I are going to receive. Are you looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to that new body. So, in verse 9, back in our text this morning, Revelation 4, notice, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, notice, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Do you get the point that it, he's, he's not going to die? He's going to live forever and ever, right? Right. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy. Here's another doxology right here, another spontaneous burst of praise. You are worthy, O Lord. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist, and they were created The glory it speaks, you know, when these living creatures give glory, it's the word doxa, it's where we get doxology, it just means worship. It means an estimate, our opinion. That's what it means, glory and honor. It speaks of value, it speaks of esteem, of someone who is precious. And that's who Jesus is, he is precious. And then it goes on and talks about, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, they also give thanks to him. And this is where we get our our Greek word, Eucharista. Eucharist. At the heart of that, what that word means is giving of thanks. So what do we do when we take communion? We're taking part of the Eucharist. We're giving thanks for what Jesus has done. That's why we have the matzah and the the juice. We know what they represent, the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. We give thanks for what he's done. Isn't that something to be thankful for? I'm so glad for that. Because if it weren't for that, I would be hopelessly lost. And so would all of you. So we give thanks to him. And so they do. They give thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. They literally prostrate themselves down. And when they worship him. And notice that he lives forever and ever. I love Isaiah. There's this one verse that just has always captivated me. And I would encourage you to write this down and memorize it because it's one of those verses that will really get your head off the earth. I don't know about you, but I really want to be thinking about something other than what's going on on this planet. Something holy, something that's reserved for us. It's something that will never perish. It'll never pass away. Reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that what the Bible says? And I, I I gotta be honest, I want it more than anything else. I'm not looking forward to physical death, honestly. I'm not looking forward to the, the means by which I go. You know, have you thought about that? We all have. Nobody likes pain. They don't want to go through that. I mean, I'd much rather go, you know, after a very good meal. I've said this before. You know, and you just go to bed, and you've had your cheesecake and your steak and potatoes. You've had your coffee, and you're relaxing with the fan on, and then you just kind of go to sleep, and then you just shut down. In the presence. That's kind of the way I hope I go. I hope it's not messy and drawn out and painful but (laughs) the Lord knows, doesn't he? But notice what it says in Isaiah. Write this down and memorize this verse because it is. if you think about it, it'll really encourage you. It says, For thus says the high and lofty one, so God here is speaking in the first person. For thus says the high and lofty one, man, does that just blow you away? Just, I mean, the fact that he speaks of this of himself, he's not, he doesn't have an ego trip. Do you understand that? It's not like you and I, when we boast because we're nothing, but he boasts and he's accurate. He's the only one who can say, I am the high and lofty one. And he's not even bragging. It's not even self-centered. It's not even egotistical. Do you see it? Can you, can you feel it? Do you get me? I love that love that relish in that he says thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits what eternity whose name is holy i dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones wow thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity He has always existed. He will never, ever cease to exist. He's always been. Before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was. He was there for eons. In fact, he was always there. Does that make your mind just kind of pop like a kernel of popcorn? It does me when you think about it. But let it begin, let it happen because folks, that's where our worship really begins. And then we join with these heavenly creatures. We join with these elders and these angels and these four living creatures. And one day we're going to stand before him and we're going to see this scene and we are going to worship him and our jaws are going to hit the ground. We're going to have a whole new body that's going to, we're not going to be tired and we're going to see it. We're going to feel the reality of who he is and there's going to be no restraint whatsoever. There's going to be tears of joy. Can you imagine? But there's no one like him, right? What does it say in Isaiah 44? It says, Thus says the Lord, here again, God speaking the first person, the King of Israel, he says, and his Redeemer. Who is his Redeemer? Who is it? It's Jesus, right? Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last, besides me there is no God, and who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. That's God speaking in the first person. He doesn't know of anybody else. He alone is the uncreated one. Let your heart be taken away with that. We're going to see him, folks, face-to-face, in Isaiah forty-five, beginning in verse five, it says, "I am the Lord," God says, "and there is no other; there is no god besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me." And Here he's speaking to Cyrus in the context that they may know, from the rising of the sun unto its setting, that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. In Isaiah forty-five, verse eighteen, what does it says? "For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and He made it. He is who has established it, who did not." create it in vain who formed it to be inhabited I am the Lord and there is no other Isaiah 45 22. what does he say look to me and be saved all you ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other wow isn't that just praiseworthy doesn't that make you just want to get out the electric guitar and get a bunch of screaming amps behind me love it and ascribe greatness to him See, this is the reality. And right now, we have this veil, you know. But soon, we'll see him face to face. So, he goes on in verse 11. He says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. Again, the word worthy is is axios. It means deserving. You are due this, Lord. You are worthy to receive glory, glory. And again, that's doxa. That means to be praised. You deserve honor. It means a value and esteem of someone who's precious. And you deserve power. This is the word dynamis, where we get our word dynamite. You you are all-powerful. In fact, it's inherent power. All power, right? What, is it, what does it say in Romans 13? The powers that be are ordered by God. That means that everything, all power, belongs to Him. And He lends it out to whom He wills. And boy, there's going to be some accounting for these people, individuals who have received power, they will stand before God and give an account for what he has given them. And some are going to do well, but many are going to be not doing so well. And yet God allows it. That's the mystery. But he has inherent power. It all comes from him. There's no one else who has power outside of him. It all comes from him. Isn't that amazing to think that if he, if he chose to, he could stop evil right now in its tracks. He already did it on the cross. Now he's allowing it to, to, to meet itself out and for man to have his day. But there's coming a time. We know that that day is coming. There is going to be an accounting. There is going to be a judgment. And this is what we warn people of. In love, right? Right? We don't do it by yelling at them. We don't get it by standing on the corners and yelling at them and calling them names. And there are churches to do that, and they're wrong. You don't yell at people. You tell them the truth in love. You know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Isn't it wonderful when you have a really, a, a good friend can tell you the hard stuff. A real friend can give you the business privately one-on-one and it breaks your heart. And You might even be mad, but you've got a friend. A friend won't lie to you. A friend wants the, the better for you. He wants the best for you. And God is even more so than a friend. He's close, he sticks closer to, than a brother, the Bible says, right? He's more than a friend to us. He knows us so intimately, He's like, I know what's best for you. Will you just let go? Will you let go? You've been trying to figure your whole life out from the very beginning, and you've made a mess of things, but I love you, and I'm I'm here to redeem you. Will you accept him? You must accept him. You must. It's not even an option. Hopefully everyone in this room and everyone online, hopefully every one of them, of all of us, has received him. And if you haven't, you must, because he loves, because he loves you. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but not everyone's willing to yield their own will to God, to Jesus Christ. And what did he he say in Isaiah? I rattled off a number of scriptures. There's none beside him. He's the only one that you're going to face. See, God is not like a man You know, uh, he's not like a man, and yet man often will try to bring God down to his level. See, God is... He is worthy, he is holy, and he, he he is separate from sinners. He's separate from his creation. There's no doubt who is being spoken of here. In John chapter 1 it says, In the beginning was the word, we know this is the Logos, Jesus Christ. In the beginning, you could substitute Jesus' name in there, and let me just read it to you. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, Nothing was made that was made. In the beginning, God was there, and very clearly the scriptures show that He existed before creation, before the heavens and the earth, before all things were created, He was already there. What does it say in Ephesians 3, verse 8? Uh, Paul says to, the, to them, to the Ephesians, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 he Jesus has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Notice, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they are thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. In other words, meaning the worlds, meaning the planets and everything else. But you know, we are a privileged planet. I don't know if you know that. I'm not worried about life on other planets. I don't care what the scientists think. I don't care what Area 51 is all about. Whatever it is, it's a a deception. Do Do you get that? Everybody repeat after me. It is a deception. Ready? It is a deception. One more time. It is a deception. If there are any beings, they are demonic beings. But they are not living on some planet that's more advanced than ours the Bible, you know there's a really wonderful DVD I'd have you look at, it's called The Privileged Planet and maybe one night we'll show it on a Sunday night or something like that but it just shows how God just as he said here that he 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 made the world inhabited um, and it was a very special unique place in the solar system there's only one like it, they can search all they want, they can find a drop of water on Mars and go, ah, there's life here are you kidding me? There's not life like there's life here. And he died for this planet. There's no place like this anywhere else. You can bet on it, because if there was, God would have told you about it. And if there is, then they have to have free will too. And then he had to die for them as well. And he only died once, the Bible says. So I don't think he's making a tour, a redemption tour, going around to the different earths, dying again. Man, I've done this so many times. Again? Man, the stakes are longer on this one than than back on earth. No, he died once, and we are it, folks. And if that sounds egotistical, so be it. I don't care. I don't care what the scientists think. Smarter than I am, that's fine. Don't care. Do you? Are you going to allow somebody with a Ph.D. to bamboozle you by by their knowledge? That's something that goes in direct contradiction to the word of God? No, they need to submit to this. They need to obey this. There's more truth to this than them standing before you. They need to submit to God. And hopefully they will. But notice that God created all things. Notice that he created. He created. And he, he, is not, he did not use evolution in this process. There's a big difference between evolution and creation. Some, some Christians like to try what they, uh, they believe in a theistic evolution, which means that they believe that God started or directed the evolutionary process. They like to think well, and they try to marry uh, man's wisdom with what God says. God says he created everything in, a, in, 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 in six days. Six successive days, 24-hour periods. That's hard for some people to, to take. It doesn't bother me. So the really smart people tend to think, well, why, don't, why can't we just marry these two ideas together and say, well, God created evolution and then he, he, he created the process of evolution. That feels good to me. That feels good to me. It's nonsense. Because if God needed evolution to create, then he's not worth worshiping. He either said what he meant and did what he said he did or he didn't. Is he able to speak something out of nothing? I think he is. So those who think otherwise, they can think what they want. They are wrong. And I'm not afraid to tell somebody who's very smart, smarter than I am. I'm not that smart. I'm willing to tell them, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. I love you, but I'm telling you, you are wrong. And I don't care if they have PhDs at Harvard or Oxford or Yale or Stanford University. Anyone who believes or feels that God didn't create something from nothing is wrong. They're wrong. Don't be afraid to say it. In our culture, oh, that'll hurt my esteem. Hey, forget about it. (laughs) You worship Jesus Christ. He will never turn you away. He'll be right there. If he used evolution as a process to bring about all living things, then he proves that he is not who he says he is. And then what are we doing here then? He is able to speak and something come into existence. If you read the first chapter of Genesis, that's exactly what happens. He spoke and there was. He created something out of nothing. He created something, many things, out of nothing. When there wasn't something there, he created it. What does it say in Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Psalm 33, verse 6, "...by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth." Psalm 90 verse 2, a psalm of Moses, he says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In Psalm 148, it says, praise him, you heavens of heavens, and you waters above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. In Isaiah 45 verse 18, what does it say? For thus says the Lord God who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, who did not create it in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. Is it any mystery that they can't find any other inhabited planets with all of our fancy gizmos? Because there are none. We live on a privileged planet. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, speaking of the coming heavens, new heavens and a new earth that are coming yet future, what does God say in the first person? He says, for behold, I create new heavens... And a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. In Hebrews 11, verse 3 is one of my favorite verses. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible, which substantiates the idea that he created something from nothing. I don't have a problem with that. So when these when these four living creatures, they're saying, you are worthy of honor and praise and glory and power, because you created, and by your will, they were done. It was God's will, and it was good. It was very good. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31? After God had created all things, what does it say? In fact, each successive thing, day one, God looked at it, and he says, it is good. Day two, he created, it was good. Day three, what he created, it was good. And finally, he creates man, and then afterwards... He creates, he creates the environment for man and then places man in it. That makes sense, doesn't it? How can you create man and just have him hang out in space waiting for a planet to inhabit? No, he created all things, all the food source, the water, everything was there. And then he goes, now I'm going to do something really awesome. This is the capstone of my creation. Man, who I want to have fellowship with. Right? But then God saw everything that he had made, Genesis 131, and indeed it says it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Because he created it, it was his will. What does it say in Psalm 115, verse 3? But God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. It is his will. Psalm 135, verse 5, For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in the deep places. Tell me who made this comment. I'm going to read it to you. Tell me if you know, and this is just a fun thing, but tell me if you know who said this. I bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Who said it? Nebuchadnezzar. That's it.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.